Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. And now, join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. Did Jesus empty himself of divinity? That is the question that we are going to address on this episode of Word Matters. I am Brandon Smith, brand manager for the HCSB, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Trevin Wax, managing editor of The Gospel Project. And uh, joining us today is Dr. Lynn Coick, uh, professor of New Testament at Wheaton College. And she's also the author of the Story of God Bible Commentary on Philippians, which is a great series of commentaries. Uh, so Dr. Coick, uh, welcome to Word Matters. Thanks so much for jumping on with us today. Well, I appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Kohick, I am, I'm really glad we're speaking with you today about Philippians 2, uh, verses 6 through 11. That is a, a passage of scripture that is so very well known, uh, but also has stirred up quite a bit of contention among pastors and Bible scholars throughout the centuries. Um, I, what I really appreciated about your commentary on this is, um, how you, how you start off that section. You say Philippians two, six through 11 speaks with great economy of words about mysteries. No human mind can fully comprehend. And I, I just love that because it, it helped me to realize, you know, we're, we, we need to remember when we're, when we're reading this text when we're teaching this text that we're, we're reading what may be one of the oldest Christian hymns uh, of praise to Jesus. And the, uh, the, the whole point of praise is worship and to understand that, uh, there's, that, that God is so much bigger than us, that he far exceeds our imaginations and our human frailty of mind. And so I, I appreciate the posture with which you, you come to this text. Well, thank you. Yes. I, uh, I think that that, um, that idea of worship and what what is the reason for the biblical text for this Christ hymn? It is to lead us into worship and hopefully worship that is grounded in the reality of God's self revelation. Mm-hmm. And of course, that self revelation will be beyond us as mere creatures, but it gives us at least a taste and something to um, uh, to to dive in more, uh, deeply uh, into. Uh, yeah, so. Well, th- thank you for leading us uh, in in that way. I think that's a um, uh, the right posture to to take. And sometimes we can look at these theological things as if it's just a conundrum or like theological knots we're trying to untangle. When really, you know, the the whole point of this is to uh, to have us on our knees in prayer and praise and thanksgiving to to who God is and for what He's done. Yeah. You know, in fact, yeah. Some sometimes people ask the question of the hymn: Is it mainly to uh, to Paul mainly give that? so that we would have an ethical example in Christ, you know, because after the hymn, he talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And by that, Paul, you know, goes on to say it's God that prepares these works in advance for us to do. So is Christ our example? Is that why that we have a hymn? Or does uh, Paul put this hymn in there so that we know, doctrinally speaking, who the second person of the Trinity is? And I think when we, rather than, than frame it as sort of those two options, if we use the category of worship, mm. and I think we could say it's actually both, right? Because sure. we better understand who God is so that we can be more faithful followers. That's yeah, that, great. That is really good. So let me uh, let me read the verse here, and then we'll kind of dive into it a little bit more deeply. Um, so I'm going to read um, Philippians 2, 6 to 11 from the HCSB. 
Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who is existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so the the verses that raise several questions um, uh, mainly focus on verses 6 and 7. I want us to start with verse 6, though. Jesus is described here as being in very nature God, but he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped or as something to be used to his own advantage. Um, Dr. Coet, can you give us a – what are a couple of the different ways that people have interpreted that phrase, that understanding of um, being in nature God but but not considering equality with God as something to be grasped? Yeah, so I think the, the idea of being in very nature or uh, the Greek term here, morphe, you know, we, it sounds like the English morph, you know, we mm-hmm. kind of can get the sense of be, having a shape. Um, so we have that, uh, in the form of God or very nature God. Um, and then this phrase that also speaks of, uh, equality with God. So it's clear that somehow Jesus, um, in this opening stanza is, is being, uh, connected with God in, in a way that they share, um, a, a, they share something, you know, they share this form um but it's not simply that they share it but Jesus does something with it that is he he um he doesn't use it to his advantage um and so it's not sim- so i guess what i'm trying to get at is that the opening sets up almost like a a dilemma like uh like a head fake you know like mm-hmm. okay he's in the form of god but what do we think god is oh yeah god rules over everyone and tells this person to do that and that person to do that and he sits way up on in heaven and you know watches stuff <laughs> you know just a very distant god or you know uh and he gets to tell people what to do that's what god that's certainly what the greek gods did right they just mm-hmm. told people what to do so uh we kind of start with I, I think this implicit assumption about what God should be doing, and then Paul immediately says, "But that's actually not what we find in in uh, Jesus, who shows us who the one true God is." Yeah, and I, th- I think so, how you how you interpret verse seven is obviously going to impact how you interpret verse eight. You know, especially the line about you know Jesus making himself nothing or literally emptying himself. So. So, Dr. Koch, on the one side, you've got kind of the interpretation, Christ emptied himself of divine attributes. So, you know, omniscience, omnipresence, or you've got the other side of just saying, yeah, he just simply emptied himself out of heaven, basically, and came to earth. So you touched on that a little bit, but if you explain more kind of how the emptying himself, what that really looks like, or what you think Paul is trying to get at there. Right. Well, I think that um, the it's not a common term um, that uh, that we find in the New Testament. Paul uses it just a couple of places, but some well-known places. I found it kind of interesting to uh, recall that in 1 Corinthians 1, 17, that's a, a verse I bet a lot of people know that Paul talks about not speaking the gospel with lofty words of wisdom, eloquent words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be 
emptied of its power. Hmm. And I think there's something there, right, that the gospel message, which reflects the character of God, can be emptied of its power by human uh, wisdom or human elegance, or the attempt at human elegance to um, to get in the way. And so there's something kind of inherent about the gospel that is of um, self-surrender for the other, or that self-giving love. And I think that's what Paul uh, is is getting at with this term about um, emptying. So it, it's it's not, I don't think, as much about uh, losing his omniscience or something like that, um, as much as it is um, just this self-giving. This emptying is about self-giving. Dr. Kohik, um there there's a lot of Old Testament um, in this hymn, I would say, allusions anyway to the Old Testament, and I I appreciate that in your commentary you you bring that up. You mentioned that we need to have that in the background. It's something like it's the musical soundtrack for how we should read these words. And and you bring up the the fact that there might be a comparison here between Adam and Christ. Uh, you know, rather or a contrast we might want to say as well, rather than grasp at God like Adam did, Christ humbled himself and in this way he manifested for us who God is, but he did this in the form of a slave. Um, you've also got the suffering servant that we read about in Isaiah 53, and you, you talk about how um, that Isaiah 53 verse 12 says he poured out his life unto death. And again, that notion of emptying and that, uh, but humiliation there as here is bringing about redemption. So um, how would you counsel us on, on how we um, let the Old Testament inform us in our understanding of, of this hymn of praise to Christ? Yes, yeah, I think so. I think you're right. The the suffering servant motif um, in Isaiah, really from chapters 40, what, to 55 or so, um, that that's a very, uh, very central and certainly the passage um, that you quoted from uh, chapter 53. Um, I think that that, um, I think most scholars believe that Paul uh, understood the gospel message often through the lens of of Isaiah's um, words, and so that suffering servant description of who God is. I, I think we want to remind ourselves that this this description of Jesus, I think his incarnation here, um, is actually also telling us about the character of God, hmm. like the one true God, the Trinity God, <laughs> has this character, not obviously, it's only Jesus of the three persons who was incarnate, but his incarnation is important in that it shows us who God is. Those who have seen Jesus have seen the Father. And so, as Jesus says, you know, in, in the gospel. So I think that um, that's important to note, I guess, to drive home um, the, the teaching or the takeaway that I have from those um, first three verses is Paul saying, this God that we worship is a God that empties out for the other in this kind of self-giving love. That that's and that is consistent with how God has revealed Himself in the Old Testament, and it is antithetical to how humans, from the very beginning, with Adam and Eve, have sought to assert their own rights. God 
um, loves for the other. Yeah, that's really good. I think we always like to talk about um, applications. So how do we preach or teach or share this with somebody? I, I always tend toward if you've got a, a Trinity, Jesus's divinity, divinity nugget, you want to just hammer that home. That's always my um, tendency. But it, but there's so much here you could do with this. So if you were to say, okay, well, I've got one chance to teach this to somebody, what are, what are kind of the big pictures, the, the basic thing that you want to get across without getting too deep into any minutia, but to give the really big picture, what would you say? Well, I, I think it's, it's significant that Paul uses uh, the word slave or doulos, um, that Christ came in the—he emptied himself and uh, took on or, yeah, taking the form— of a slave. So there is, uh, that's an invitation, I would say. That's an invitation to us, in as much as we are to have uh, the, the mind of Christ, right? Or have whatever, uh, however you want to um, translate uh, chapter 2, verse 5, have this mind among you, which is, in, which is yours in Christ Jesus, or whatever your particular translation has. In some way, as we are in Christ, we share, we, and Paul talks about himself as being a slave of Christ. And so I think I would try and drive home the, what are the ramifications of, of being in the form of a slave? And I think for Paul's day, it would mean uh, having very low social status and being without honor. And, you know, boy, you just read through the Gospels. How many times is Jesus rejected? How many times, you know, he preaches in his hometown and people sneer at him. He goes to heal someone's daughter and people laugh at him. She's she's not asleep. She's dead. What are you talking about? Hmm. Time and time again, he's uh, rejected and and humiliated um, by those he came to serve. Um, you know, that that. You know, we're supposed to put on Christ, like clothing, put on Christ. That type of clothing doesn't feel comfortable mm-hmm. <laughs> on me, I have to say, right? I I like the more triumphant Christ, but we're not at the second part of the hymn yet, right? You know, although Christ is, is exalted, we still await his, etern- his return and triumph overall. So we're still in that moment of taking the form of a slave. Um, and then I would say, so we have this image of slave, then I would also say when he talks about uh, taking also uh, the likeness of a human um, and and having that form being found uh, in the appearance as a human, or some of the translations will have man, it's anthropos, it, it, you know, he obviously did come as a male, but the stress is not male, but is human, that the uh, I think Paul is is indicating to us what does it mean to be fully human here? It's to be obedient. Mm-hmm. So you know those would be I think takeaways. And if, as you look at this passage, Paul will pick up some of the same language in uh, chapter three, where at the end of the chapter he talks about how we are uh, citizens of heaven. Right, our citizenship is in heaven, and we. Uh, await a savior there uh, from there coming uh, our Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body and in that language there the there's a lot of parallels to uh, the the Greek language in in the hymn so I think Paul is trying to connect what he tells us about Jesus's earthly ministry as being our own calling as well uh, as we await um, our Savior. 
Uh, I appreciate that that um, word of counsel so very much. Uh, one of the one of the things I love about this passage, anytime it comes up for for me to preach or teach, is to um, to take that that command in verse five. You know, have this mind be in you, make this attitude. You know, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Um, it to and then it by going through the hymn, the hymn really does go through a story. It's not simply we we have a lot of doctrinal questions we bring to the text, but at the at the end of the day, it's going through the gospel story, and as we who are in Christ, participating with Christ, were to make this attitude that Christ had be ours as well. We we do we have to we have to locate where we are right now in our own imitation of Jesus in the story. And as you said, it's it's right now we are taking on the form of the slave. We are humbling ourselves, knowing that exaltation will follow just as it did for Jesus in verses nine through 11. And then as you mentioned in chapter three as well. And so putting those things together, locating yourself within the story that the hymn tells, I think is, is one of the ways that works on our imaginations and, and hearts and can really uh, begin to to transform our minds and, and our attitudes. Yeah, exactly. You know, when Paul will say in the next chapter in uh, chapter three, I want to know Christ. Yes, and he goes on to explain what that means. He's already a believer, right? So he's not like saying I'm I'm deciding whether I want to be saved or something mm. like that. So he's talking about the Christian life. I want to know Christ. Well, what does that look like? I want to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings. That's right. And to me, that that just goes right back there to the to the hymn. You know that that he Paul gets when when he says obedience to death, even death on a cross. Paul says that sort of same idea in chapter three. Then participation in his sufferings, that's right. and that's how Paul understands our um, our calling as disciples. Yeah, that's really good, uh, Doctor Kohler. Thank you so much for jumping on, not just uh, for the insights, but just for the uh, worshipful way in which you talk about Philippians. We really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you so much for the chance to uh, talk with you. I enjoyed it very much. And thank you, Trevin, always for jumping on, and thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Word Matters is presented by the Holman Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages but clear for today's readers. Find out more at hcsb.org.